0: Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Would you stand with me as we read God's word today? Just, of course, word of God, it's an amazing passage. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, where he dismissed the crowd, or while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this powerful passage. I pray that you would help us today through the eyes of faith, place ourselves in that boat with the disciples. Help us to see this miracle for what it is. In Jesus name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Today we continue with our series on The Chosen and our message is entitled Miracles in the Storm. Miracles in the Storm. What a great verse or verses. It's mentioned actually, this story is mentioned in three of the four gospels and Jesus had just completed a day of teaching the multitudes when they became hungry. And remember that he had the disciples feed them and he performed that, that miracle of the loaves and fishes. And so that amazing event has just happened. As soon as it's over, he tells the disciples to go ahead and get it in the boat because evening had come. And then he went off to be uh, alone so that he could pray which means that Jesus was praying alone most of the night because it was the fourth watch of the night when he came walking out on the water, which means dawn was gonna be there before long. So it's the last watch of the night. All night long, the disciples have been stuck in the middle of the lake in the middle of a great storm. By the way, it was not just a miracle. When you think about the miracle of Jesus walking on the water, it was actually four miracles the gospel tells us. Number one, Jesus walked on water. That was a miracle, Amen? amen? Number two, Peter walked on water. That's a miracle. Number three, Jesus calmed the storm as soon as he got in the boat and it died down. That's a miracle. And number four, John, the Gospel of John actually tells us that as soon as Jesus had calmed the storm and got in the boat and calmed the storm, the the boat was on the other side at the shore. And so four miracles uh, on one night, not to mention the feeding of the the multitudes uh, the day before. What a difference a storm makes. Maybe that should have been the title this morning. What a difference a storm makes. Uh, believe it or not, I know a little bit, just a little bit of how the disciples felt that night. The first professional ministry I was ever a part of is called Possum Kingdom Resort Ministries. And I've probably shared with you before that each week we we conducted a worship service in four different campgrounds across the, the lake. So me and my partners, our job was to perform a worship service at Possum Kingdom Resort, excuse me, at Possum Kingdom State Park there uh, at Possum Kingdom. By the way, if you don't know of what Possum Kingdom Lake is, then you're, you're new in Texas, uh, because uh, here in North Texas, one of the biggest lakes in the state. It um, has over 300 miles of coastlines, so over 100 feet deep, uh, it's a very deep lake. And uh, so we were going from our, our parking lot, and we always went over to Possum Kingdom State Park in a boat. You can't really get anywhere on Possum Kingdom Lake hardly without a boat. You'd really need a boat. I'm not a boat guy, but I learned to drive a boat, uh, and uh, we had an inboard eight-cylinder engine in that boat. I called it the Millennium Falcon. It was the fastest hunk of junk on the lake. And, and, and I, I had that throttle going. Well, one day we took off for Possum Kingdom State Park, and right there in the middle of the lake, because it's a large lake, a lot of water in that lake, we got in the middle of a storm, it brewed up, and it white-capped around us, and my boat started just doing this, and and I was doing the best I could to steer the boat to keep it from capsizing, but I, and particularly the girls with me, were horrified that we were about to uh, turn over. We didn't, by the way. I don't know if it was my skill or just the mercy of God. I suspect the mercy of God, but I understand what it's like to be out in the middle of a body of water uh, it, 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 during a storm, it's a unique kind of fear. Are you afraid? When you go to the doctor, when you watch the news, when you hear a noise in the night, when you think about the political mess in this world, the international unrest, the increasing evil in this world, are you afraid? So that's really the first thing I notice about storms. And you want to notice just a few things today. And the first is when there's a storm, you're going to have fear. Storms produce fear. Verse 26 says they were terrified. And actually the disciples were terrified when they saw Jesus. And then it says in verse 30, Peter was terrified. He was afraid while he was walking on water, which we'll get to in just a minute. An amazing thing in and of itself. You would think after the first step, it'd be easy going, but no, while he's in the middle of the miracle, he becomes afraid and he loses his faith. It says he was afraid because he saw the wind and the waves and he gave in to his fear. You have to remember that these guys, many of them, were professional fishermen. Peter and uh, many of the others, they were fishermen. They grew up on this lake. They had been out fishing with their fathers probably when they were boys, when they were barely older than a toddler. They had been on this lake hundreds, not just hundreds, thousands of times. But no doubt Peter and the others had also known people or been related to people whose boats went down in a storm and they all drowned. Now, when I was in that boat on Possum Kingdom, my thinking was, I'm so glad I have this life vest on. Well, the disciples had no life vest. They had no V8 motor either, by the way. And so they probably had known somebody or multiple people over the decades who had drowned. They knew what a storm could do to a boat. And so they were afraid. Are you afraid when you wake up during the night and you feel something crawling on you? When the doctor says they need a blood sample and they pull out a big needle or you go to the dentist and he says, "Uh, close your eyes and you know what's coming or when your teacher or your boss makes you give a speech, or when the plane hits turbulence, or the electricity goes out at your house and it's suddenly pitch dark, are you afraid? Well, I've shown you charts before, I'm gonna show you just two I found interesting on fear. Here's the first one. You'll see the number one fear, public speaking. By the way, different places have different uh, things, uh, different surveys, the fear of heights, bugs and snakes, a drowning, blood and needles, claustrophobia, flying, strangers, zombies, so they're just slightly more afraid of strangers than zombies, <laughs> darkness, clowns, and ghosts. Well, isn't that interesting? One of these interestingly, while it is completely fictitious, is in this very passage, it's not clowns, it's it's the last one. It's ghosts. Remember the 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 Pharisees. The disciples were terrified, and their first response was they thought it was a ghost. They thought Jesus was a ghost. Now you know why they thought he was a ghost. Because they weren't theologians. They didn't know anything. Again, I, I I get on this tirade every time this comes up. There are no ghosts. There's the Holy Ghost. It's the only ghost you'll see in the New Testament. There are no ghosts. The ideal of a ghost, by the way, a ghost is not a demon. That's another thing. And there are demons, but there are no ghosts. A ghost is a disembodied person. It's your spirit and my spirit. And the theory is... Wherever we got it, I don't know. But the theory is that when we die, we go to a tunnel, we see a light and we go to heaven or we go to judgment or whatever we go, but some of us don't make the trip. We slip through the cracks because God is kind of incompetent and he just doesn't know what's going on and he can't keep up with everybody. You see how terrible that doctrine is? Of course, God's not incompetent. And when you and I die, we don't get a pick Well, do I go to the light? Nah, I think I'll go haunt this house over here. No, that's Hollywood. Don't listen to it. It's just silly. There are no ghosts, none, zero. And so if you think you and I are spoiled, or not spoiled, or affected because of Hollywood, I don't know what movie the disciples have been watching, a Horror, First Century. I don't know. Maybe the Bethlehem Horror. I don't know what they were seeing, but they thought Jesus was a ghost. So they were terrified from that, so that's on the list. Okay, all right, enough of that rant. I like the second chart. This is the only other chart I'll show you. This is Democrats are more fearful than Republicans. You see that? For whatever reason, (laughs) Democrats. So that got your applause. (laughs) So Democrats are terrified of bugs and snakes. Uh, So, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, you see the rest of them. But what I find interesting is claustrophobia, the the fear of enclosed spaces, is about the same. So we actually share something in common, both Democrats and Republicans were both claustrophobic. Okay, all right, go back. Are you afraid? A young man had, had been visiting a therapist because he had this unusual fear that there were monsters under his bed. Now, he had it as a kid and he thought he would grow out of it. His parents said he would grow out of it, but he never did. So as he grew into manhood, moved out into his own place, he was convinced there were monsters under his bed. And the problem was he couldn't sleep. Ever been like that? Do you remember being like that as a kid? You just knew there was a monster in your closet or in your bed. And so you wake up and you you get the flashlight and you start looking under there. And every scary movie, there's that you know, the kid or the person is afraid. They think they hear a noise under their bed and they slowly look and it turns out, you know, it is a monster. They pull them in under. And we see things like that and it affects us. So he, he, he went to a therapist and said, I've got this problem. I'm terrified of monsters under my bed. And so the therapist met with him for weeks and weeks and actually months went by. And every week after his counseling session, he would go home and sure enough, he'd have another nightmare or he'd have difficulty sleeping because he, Kept thinking there were monsters under his bed. And maybe you've heard this story. He decided to get a second opinion. So he went to a second therapist. And amazingly, he went back to the first therapist and admitted, I got a second opinion. I went to another therapist, but I don't need you anymore. Uh, My fear is gone. And the therapist was amazed. And he said, how did you, what did he say to you to get you over this fear in one counseling session? He said, well, he just told me to cut the legs off my bed. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't know, that's uh, anyway. But there's a way around every fear. And God doesn't want you to live in fear today. Actually, verse 27 says, it says, but Jesus immediately, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now he could have, had he been me, a typical man, said, you bunch of babies, there's no ghosts. I had to give them the same lecture I just gave you. But he didn't give them a theological conversation or an argument or he didn't scold them. He said, guys, don't be afraid, it's it's me. The second thing you need to know is not only do storms produce fear, they also produce faith. Storms produce faith. In verse 29, it says that Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water and came toward Jesus. Like the rest of the disciples, Peter had a long way to go in his faith. He wasn't there. He thought he was there, but he wasn't there. And by the way, that's why it's really important that you understand the difference between pretend faith and real faith. Pretend faith is what we claim, what we say. But real faith happens in here and happens in here. It's in our spirit. You believe or you don't believe. And you and I listen to this, can choose to have faith. We're not victims of, the, uh, of, of this concept or construct of faith, and some people got it, some people don't. I just don't have faith. Well, there you go. You can choose to have faith. Jesus was constantly trying to increase their faith, and so we see that storms produce faith. That is, in order to have faith and grow your faith, There needs to be storms in our life. It's just the way that it is. So Peter got out of the boat. Now, before we bash Peter too much, and I'm going to bash him. (laughs) But before we bash him too much, you have to remember this. There were 11 others in that boat. None of them got out of the boat. And Peter, in light of the frailty of his faith, because it didn't last too long, he took his eyes off of Jesus, started watching the waves and the wind and the storm, and immediately, the Bible says, began to sink. But to this day, he's still, other than Jesus, the only person in history who knows what it's like to walk on water. His few steps before he began to sink is miles from the lack of faith the rest of the disciples had. In fact, I would think, just guessing, I would think that if I were one of the 11, not Peter, but one of the others, and I saw Peter take the first step, I would have a eureka moment and go, whoa, call me out too. They never said a word, they kept their mouth shut. So not even his miracle affected them enough to do something in their fear. Storms produce faith. Obviously, literally, it's important that we learn to depend upon Christ, to keep our eyes on him in everything. Remember in the chosen series, Peter, I shared with you two weeks ago, that Peter was really struggling in his faith with Christ. And he was having a crisis of faith, not only him, but his wife as well. We don't know anything about his wife, but he had a mother-in-law, mentioned that last time, so we know that he was married. And by the way, though they are not in here, probably not only either most or all of the disciples were likely married. Most of them probably had children. Now, John was young. He may not have been married yet, but most of the disciples had wives and children. We don't hear about them, but that was expected of a of a, of a Jewish man, when you grew to adulthood, you were expected to marry. It was part of your responsibility to your community and to your country to get married and have a family. And so that's what they did. And in The, the Chosen, they show that interaction between the disciples and their wives, and particularly in Peter and his wife, And last time it showed that she had miscarried. She got pregnant. She lost the baby. We don't know that that happened, but I can tell you this for certain. There were struggles with every disciple between himself and his wife. They went through struggles just like you and I. In their marriage, in their life, there were storms that came up in their life just like storms come up in your life and my life. And so they hypothesized that she had lost this baby and there was a struggle in that. And I told you when I preached on pride two weeks ago that Peter was a very proud man. And he couldn't understand why, if he was following Jesus so closely, so faithfully, why Jesus would allow bad things to happen in his life. And he felt that Jesus owed it to him to have an easy time of life. Just like you and I are tempted to think that God owes it to us if we go to church every Sunday and we tithe and we support missions and we do the things that God calls us to do. We love one another, we forgive one another, and we're doing all of these things that God desires us to do as his people. We surrender ourselves in faith to Jesus Christ and we become one of his children that we think somehow, wink, wink, God has a special dispensation just for you and me. We're not going to have the troubles that other people have, but that's not anywhere in the Bible. There are storms in your life and my life. There are going to continue to be storms. That is a fact of life, but we know who's in the storm with us. Know that God is trying to teach you in the midst of those storms, and really this is a teaching lesson both in the series and in the scripture, this is a teaching lesson for Peter. It's a lesson he will never forget. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. What's this scene? Yeah. Help we, we can't take much more water! We'll founder. Better off wet and cold on land than drowned and dead out here! To get out of here! Everyone whoa. move! Whoa, whoa. Oh. Whoa, whoa. Go! faster! Go, faster! Let's go! Whoa. 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 Nobody move! Simon, what? I said everybody Sorry. stop! 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 Okay, Nobody stop! Nobody move! That's not a ghost! Are you crazy? You today This surprises you Did you learn nothing from today If it is you command me to come to you on the water Simon no are you out of your mind if you are who you say you are bid me to step out of this boat you have the faith to walk on this water. Absolutely. You can do whatever you command. And if you command the world to hold me, I will walk on you. If I call you to me, you will step out in faith? Yes! Then why are you upset? Why are you chasing after Gentiles when your own people have problems right here? When your own person has problems? I've been right here in front of you, believing in you, but you're breaking up fights in the Decapolis? Then come to me, you, weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Simon, no! Simon! Don't be foolish, Simon! Simon! Simon. Wait. Simon, where are you going? What are you doing? Yeah, Simon. Simon, stop! Simon, stop. Simon, what are you doing? Trials. I don't know! They prove the genuineness of your faith. They strengthen you. This is strengthening you. And Eden, keep your eyes on me. Who comforts us in our grief, and, and lies at the, the wounds of the brokenhearted, hearted. I'm sinking, Lord Satan. I'm I'm sinking. In the shadow of your wings, do we take refuge? Go, I got you. Please. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Don't let me go, man. I have much planned for you, Simon. Including hard things. Just keep your eyes on me. I promise. Come on, help me, help me. Please help me. Please. Don't let me go, please. I'm sorry, please. Don't let me go, please. I'm sorry, please, Please. Please. don't let me. Peace! Be still! Please. Don't let me go. I'm here. I'm always here. I let people go hungry. But I feed them. Please. Please. Please, don't let me go. That's about as close as we'll ever get to being able to be there. But i tell you this, you know, it showed his wife being baptized during that time, and it was a cathargic time for her as well. Again, we don't know that that happened except that for all the wives, when I get to heaven, I want to meet the wives of the disciples. I want to hear their perspective about the lives and the ministries that they shared uh, through their husbands. Well, that was a powerful, powerful scene. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. His call to Peter is the same as his call to you and I, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes in this passage means to stare or to continually focus, and sometimes That's what Satan tries to do to get us to lose focus on the miracle that is all around us in God. So God allows the storms in your life and my life to produce faith. And then lastly, you have to notice this at the very end of the passage. Storms produce confession. Storms produce confession. When Jesus stepped back into the boat, the Bible says... There was really nothing for the, for the disciples to say or do after that. How do, you, how do you respond to something like that when they see that he has authority over gravity, over nature, over all things? Well, verse 33 says, then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Storms produce confession. If you had an easy life, never had a problem, never had a care in the world, nothing ever happened to you, how would you even know to depend upon your savior for anything? Storms produce confession. God calls us to make an outright confession in him. In fact, it is the ultimate confession. It's a confession of faith in Christ. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said it this way. He said, if you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. Confession was important to Jesus. Faith is the first step. You have to have faith. Faith that Jesus died for our sins. Faith that he has power over death because in faith he rose again in three days. That's what we're about to celebrate next Sunday. This is Palm Sunday today. We remember when Christ came into Jerusalem with his disciples on that donkey professing to the world, that he is the Christ. Now I wasn't there, I don't have photos of that. I have no video of that moment. I would love to have been there. I believe in faith that Jesus did what he said he did and that he died for your sins and my sins and that God brought him back to life. Confession. Well, the disciples made their own confession that night. Jesus got back in the boat They worshiped him. Now, you only worship God. That's very clear to all these men who were Jewish men. They understood. The Lord alone is one that you worship. You worship no one and nothing else. And when they worshiped Jesus, they acknowledged the deity of Jesus, that he was God incarnate. They weren't just impressed as a Messiah. They realized he was God incarnate. So they worshiped him. I'll bet none of the disciples in that worship service said, I don't like the music, or he's preaching too long, or this boat isn't very comfortable, or we're all wet here. Can't we just go home? We'll worship tomorrow. No, they were worshiping by confessing Christ as their Savior and Lord, right then, right there where they were. Author Keith Miller tells of a 40-year-old woman who was part of a sharing group that he led, and he wanted to share this story, and I want to I read it to you. This was a 40-year-old woman who shared this. She said, when I was a tiny little girl, my parents died, and I was put in an orphanage. I was not pretty at all, and no one seemed to want me, but I longed to be adopted and loved by a family as far back as I can remember. I thought about it day and night, but everything I did seemed to go wrong. I must have tried too hard to please the people who came to look me over. And what I did was, all I did was drive them away. She says, but then one day the head of the orphanage told me that a family was coming to take me home with them. I was so excited that I jumped up and down and cried like a little baby. The matron reminded me that I was on trial and this might not be a permanent arrangement, but I just knew that somehow it would work out. So I went with the family and started to school. I was the happiest little girl you can imagine. And life began to open up for me, just a little. But then one day, a few months later, I skipped home from school and ran into the front door of the big old house that we lived in. No one was home. But in the middle of the front hall was my battered suitcase with my little coat thrown across it. As I stood there, it suddenly dawned on me what it meant. I didn't belong there anymore. Miller reports that when the woman stopped speaking, there was hardly a dry eye in the group. But then she cleared her throat and said, almost matter-of-factly, this happened to me seven times before I turned 13. But wait, don't feel too badly, she says. It was experiences like these that ultimately brought me to God. And there I found what I'd always longed for, a place, a sense of belonging, a forever family in Jesus Christ. Roxanne led in a song this morning called Peace Be Still. I want to read these words to you if you've never heard this song. I don't want to be afraid. Every time I face the waves, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to to fear the storm. Just because I hear it roar, I don't want to fear the storm. I don't want to hear the, fear the storm. And the chorus says this, Peace, be still. Say the word and I will. Set my feet upon the sea till I'm dancing in the deep. Peace, be still. You are here, so it is well. Even when my eyes can't see, I will trust the voice that speaks. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the fact that your son is here with us in our presence. We thank you for the miracle that we saw and that we read about in your word. That he has authority over all things. He says the word and the storm ends. He walks on water and raises from the dead. Father, we are going through storms in our lives. Some people here are going through tremendous storms. It may be through relationships or through finances or, or just internally. It may be storms of their life that's brought on by their own sin or the sins of others. Whatever the storm, you're there. Help us to see you, to keep our eyes on you. Have faith. As you're praying right where you are, no one's looking around. Have you ever made that confession? Jesus requires us to have faith. You don't have to have a lot of faith, by the way, just a small amount. The faith of a mustard seed, he says, which is a tiny seed. It has to be real faith, even if it's a small amount. But he calls you to confess. There's no Christian in the world in all of history that has ever said successfully, I'll just keep this to myself. I'm not going to tell anybody. It'll be a special deal between me and God. No. Everybody Jesus called, he called publicly. And he requires a public confession. Would you be willing to come down today and say, Pastor, I confess. I believe Jesus died for me. I know that he loves me. I believe he died in my place on the cross for my sins, that he forgave me of my sins, and I am surrendering my life to him in faith. It may be you've made that decision, but you're facing storms right now, and you need to come to God and say, Lord, I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. I don't know how this is gonna work out. I don't know how it's possible, but I'm gonna keep my eyes on you. The storms are pretty bad, but I'm gonna keep my eyes Or maybe God is calling your family to join here and live out your faith in this place. Just come down and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. If God is leading right now, this is your invitation, your opportunity to respond. Maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray and thank Christ for seeing me. As we continue to pray, would you stand? No one's looking around. All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, and as everyone stands, right now, you come.